Well, now we can talk about books we don't like. <laughs> I <I'm> recorded. <laughs> um, <laughs> everybody welcome to episode 521 of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive this is adam joined by joe what was that head shake for that's a, that's a big number right there i know I, um <laughs> a another podcast that we follow and that follows us on twitter like tagged us in a tweet last night that was like join us in celebrating our 150th episode so it was like you know a nice milestone and someone else commented like wow that's a lot of editing and i it took everything in my power not to be like you want to talk about a lot of editing. Let me tell you about 500 plus episodes of Jill and Adam talking. Um, how's it going? It's going. <laughs> yeah, it's very cold. Doldrums cold. Of, of winter here in Northeast Ohio. It is cold. Uh, we finally got our dining room furniture. Uh, That's exciting. That, was, that is exciting. Yeah, it was on back order for a while, but we, ha- we had a kitchen table. So it's not like we were like not eating on a table for the past. <laughs> Oh. Two months, but yeah. Um, yeah, I remember a coworker of ours, Ben, who um, he's also very close friends with me in real life. Uh, he and his wife had a; they were buying a new table, and there was a delay, so they just kept posting pictures of like them sitting with no table with their cats, just mm-hmm. eating like on their laps. Yep. Um. Okay, listen, everybody, we've never gotten a response like this, but. So many of you, so many of you want to hear about books that um, Jill and I don't love, or as somebody wrote in an email, didn't jive with us, I think yeah. was a good way of describing it. Um, and I also appreciate a few people being like, well, we know you work for Overdrive, so you don't want to like dunk on books, but right, we're going to get, we're going to tell you about books we don't enjoy and we will provide reasoning we can also of course like tell you what the book is about so maybe if you want to read it you can that's fair um so that's what we're gonna we're gonna do today this kind of started a few weeks ago i was talking about how there's a book called the guest list which is still on new york times bestsellers list by lucy foley so i don't mind talking negatively about it because my opinion is not hindering (laughs) sales um i just said i thought it was very like formulaic and boring and i didn't like any of the characters and i it felt like a cheap version of an Agatha Christie book basically and then we kind of asked we're like do you guys want to hear this type of stuff and y'all want to hear this type it of stuff a lot it was a yeah. lot of people wanting to hear what we don't like which I appreciate mm-hmm. you know like we talk not we um if you follow a bunch of writers on Twitter or are active in book Twitter you know there's always a whole thing where like reviews are not for the writers they are for readers and reviews good or bad serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people are hesitant and obviously we were for 520 episodes to mm-hmm. talk about books we don't like, but they're, you know, that might help someone like steer them clear from a book they also wouldn't like. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as someone else said, like you got your, all of your feedback guys was so like thoughtful and wonderful. Someone was like, brought up the point where it's like, it takes a long time to read a book. And so if you get a suggestion from someone else that like maybe avoid this one, that's actually helpful. Um, I will say if you don't enjoy a book, this should be a blanket statement. 
don't tag the reader or don't tag the writer, the author on any of your posts about it. Like, even if they do something inherently awful and even if like maybe as a person, they're not the greatest human being, like there's nothing can be gained from that. You're telling someone you think they're bad and they'll either ignore it, but see it, or they'll talk with you on social media, which is not a place anyone has ever changed their mind ever. So leave your reviews. Yeah. Also don't email them. We don't want to hear that. I've had that happen. (laughs) It's hilarious, but sometimes not. So just, just keep, you know, Again, go to Goodreads. That's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Authors, or, stay away from there. <laughs> if you hated a book, you know what? If you hated a book, email us at professionalbooknews.overdub.com and tell us about it. And if it's like politically correct, we'll, we can read that's them fine. here. Um, yeah, you know, that's funny. I actually will say all the books on this list are ones I finished. I There are probably hundreds of books I could have listed that I didn't like that I did not finish. Cause yeah. I don't, cause it takes a long time to read a book and there are too many books out there that I would enjoy. I don't waste time with books I don't like, but I also, that feels sort of unfair to talk about a book I didn't finish because who knows how it may have turned out. So these are all books I finished, but there are lots of ones I did not finish. Yeah. I <laughs> good reads like needs that as an option. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, Other than like, just like one star in a book. Just be like, I didn't finish it. Yeah. I, I, when I was using Goodreads, I created a DNF um, bookshelf. But if you put a book on a bookshelf, I still think it counts it as like red. So I'd have to go in and uncheck red to put it on my DNF. It was. I mean, you know, Libby tags, go ahead and tag those books. Look at you. DNF. <laughs> Look at you. It's almost like we just had a company meeting yesterday about tags. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, but same thing. I think we each have six and I also mm-hmm. finished all of these books. Um, but same, like the amount of books I was looking through my list, I was like, oh man, I just got, I just gave up on a lot of these for whatever reason. Um, okay. So can I just get my first one out of the way that everyone, like, it's not my first one on the list, but it's one that I've talked about for 500 episodes. This is the one book that I've not right ahead. Go right Okay. Ahead. So The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Sounder is hot trash, and I don't care. This will be like my most firm stance. J.D. Sounder is no longer alive. Also, he wouldn't hear this if he was alive because that's, he stared away from everything else. Also, every single person has had to read this book in high school. So I'm not going to tell you what, JD, what The Catcher in the Rye is about. I dislike it because it's a book whose main character is inherently unlikable, who... It, like the whole plot of the book. And I always thought like maybe when I was younger, I just didn't understand. And so it was like my fault as a reader. But the whole plot is him being like, I'm going to go run away. No, I'm not. Just kidding. Scene. That's it. And like the whole time he does various things that are just awful and annoying. And he's smarmy. And he's like, I was a very emo kid as in high school. Some might say that I am still an emo kid. Um but I did not relate to Holden at all, uh, Holden Caulfield, which is infuriating because I didn't ever think this through because my older dog's name is Holden, but he is named after a Chasing yeah. Amy character. And the amount of times that people have put two and two together with like, you work for a book company, you co-host a book podcast, your dog's name is Holden, you must love Catcher in the Rye, I regret everything. <laughs> um So I'm going to give you a positive ver- version. If you want to read a book, his main character is inherently, inherently unlikable, um, but is an enjoyable thing to read. I am going to suggest A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. Um, it's 
very, very funny. It's a lot like um, like a Don Quixote of New Orleans type of a story. And like, again, the main character, you will not like him. <laughs> you will very much dislike him. Um, but he's it, the book is actually funny. And um, I just kind of, it's a different, it's a different version of Catcher in the Rye. So anyway, that's my Catcher in the Rye uh, monologue. Thank you for letting me get on a soapbox. The rest of these will be respectable. So you can, <laughs> you can start. Oh, oh, are we starting with those? No, with- you can do whatever. I can start you- with mine. Yeah, no, go for actually, it. Um, no, I, you, when we, for once, we actually put our lists together in advance. Y'all know that we don't do this. When you put a confederacy of dunces, I kind of laughed because I have a lot of opinions about white cis men who love a confederacy of dunces because it sort of is like this. That's totally fair. That's totally (laughs) fair. I sort of, I put it alongside that other book whose name I cannot remember right now where the author had died. And, um, this is terrible. It'll come to me later. It'll come to me later. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, oh, okay. We're starting with the big ones <laughs> that we didn't really like. Yeah. That's actually probably good. Let's go ahead and start with the really big ones we didn't like, and then we'll be a little more respectful. Mm-hmm. I rage quit reading the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, like mm-hmm. rage quit reading this book. And I don't do that very often, but um, I did not make it very far in this book. So this is a book. I know you liked it. I know I a lot of people liked it. This is, um, about uh Aiden he wakes up in a different he's at like a party at like an old house whatever um and there's character Evelyn will die and he keeps waking up in a different body of a house guest until he figures out who the killer is I love this concept this is a fantastic concept I'm all about this. Like the time period is like very Agatha Christie you got like this cool house you got these interesting characters in one of the early chapters of the book, um, Aiden walks into a room and is looking around at all the other characters. And I cannot remember this particular character's name, unfortunately, but there's a character who is fat. And the way Stuart Turton describes this character, I knew right away that A, that was going to be one of the bodies that Aiden was in and B, it was going to be so bad and like super, super fat phobic. And just mm-hmm. like the way Aiden described how he felt being in this body and the way he described this character from the outside is awful. Like it is awful. And I was right. That was mm-hmm. one of the bodies. And it was just as bad as I thought it would be. It was probably yeah. worse. And so I rage quit seven and a half just of Evelyn Hardcastle. Um, so I so I, I, oh, you know what? I lied. I did not finish that book. That is the only one on my list I did not finish yeah. because I literally could not finish that book. It made me so angry. And what I have learned since then is that there are several books that exist like this. Some of them are YA, but it's the same idea of somebody for whatever reason in the book inhabits the body of someone else and inevitably the body or bodies that they inhabit is a fat person and the descriptions are terrible Mm. like they are just terrible they are fat phobic they are rage inducing if you live in a fat body and navigate that world or at all familiar with fat politics yeah so i rage quit seven half deaths of evelyn hardcastle i did not like that book did not finish it but I feel necessary to talk about this. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I will say like one of the, I, I did, when I read it, I did it. I did like the book and it was, I think like three years ago at this point. And I will say one of the things that I've really, really 
been proud of about the podcast is the five plus years. Oh my God. The, the five plus yeah. years you and I have been doing this um, between interacting with each other and talking with authors. I have become much more aware of things that I wouldn't maybe notice in a book that are offensive that just because as you just said, like my, my privilege is I am a cis white male. Like I, so there are things I might not notice. And so I've become much more aware of that. And like, looking back, you're absolutely right about seven and a half deaths. Like another one is um, there, the new Naomi Novik book came out and it's about the school. Um, and there's a, there's a scene in there and it got some mm-hmm. attention on Twitter and stuff, but there's a scene where there is a, a black student and they have cornrows and there's like a, bug or something that comes yeah. down and like gets into Nest. the cornrows yeah. nests in there and like the way that it's described is something that is like it's so horrifically offensive yeah. and I probably wouldn't have noticed it five years ago but yeah now because of this podcast and the way that we don't just read books but we talk about them like I'm mm-hmm. much more aware of that so I fully am on board with things with you yeah. with your point on that one 100 yeah. percent um okay so my next one is called The God Game by uh, Danny Toby. And I'm going to, I'll describe what the book is and I'll I exactly what like we've been doing. I'll explain why I didn't love it. Um, the God Game really excited me when I uh, started it. And it's got lovely reviews and has wonderful um, like promotion by people like Carlin Coben and all sorts of stuff. It's a tech thriller. And what it is, it's about this group of kids who are in high school. Um, they are a group of friends. They call themselves the Vindicators. They're targeted by bullies and like they're pressured by people. They're, they're, they're nerds. They're geeks. That's how they're described. They're gamers. Um, and they discover this game called the God Game in like kind of like a dark web type of a situation. And it's... It, it, you are told that it's created by these coders and maintained by like underground hackers. And it's this like artificial intelligence that thinks it's God. And it tells you to do things and you progress through the game. And as you might suspect in a book like this, they, it starts with like pretty mundane tasks and it gets to much more aggressive, dangerous things. The reason that I didn't like this book, I love the concept. It was very interesting. The reason I didn't like it is because it, establishes a set of rules for this game and for the world and continues to break those rules. And it's just frustrated me so much because like, I love world building. This wasn't really fantasy. This is more like science fiction. Like I love world building and fantasy, but an important part of world building and fantasy or science fiction is in that world building, you are building out the rules of the world. And so you have an expectation as a reader And there's a difference between creating plot turns and plot twists and just breaking apart the rules that you have set up because it feels like lazy writing. And it's just, I found myself listening or reading the book and just being like, okay, well, this thing thinks it's God, but it's still an artificial intelligence. But like the more and more you read the book, it's like almost like it is God. Like it literally has no flaws about it. I'm like, okay, well, it's still a computer program. Like there's Mm-hmm. There has to be some inherent thing about it. And I don't want to give away the ending because if this sounds like a thing that if like, if you're okay with rules being broken, um, you might really like this book because it is interesting, but I hate that. I, I really, really hate when a book is just like, just kidding. I know we established something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I said, the God game, like I said, really interesting concepts, not a bad, not bad writing, 
but just every single time they'd be like, it wasn't a plot twist. It was just like a plot disrupt. It was just like a breaking <laughs> of what existed there. So didn't uh, love it. I don't like when people break their rules. I know. Their own funny. books. Exactly. Yeah. Just don't tell <laughs> me the rules. If there are no rules, then you can't break them. Fine. Okay. It would be chaos, but okay. Whatever. Especially when it's a series like y'all. I love Stephen King. I love misery. I, I don't support what Annie Wilkes did, but I understand why she was mad that he changed the rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, to be fair, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hobble Danny Tobin. I think he's a good writer. I'm not trying to break those. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I was a big, I was a big Twilight girl back in the day, y'all, like, you know, 15 years ago, but you know, the whole first three books are from Bella's point of view. And then in Breaking Dawn, there's a point where it's Witch's point of view. And the whole thing was so weird. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> nope, I'm out. Yeah. What's your, ne- <laughs> what's your next one? My next one is Idaho by Emily uh, Ruskovich. So this came out a couple of years ago. I was very excited for it. It sounded really good. It's about Anne and Wade. Um she is Anna's Wade's second wife. They live, you know, in the, the rugged landscape of Northern Idaho for the description. I did not come up with that on my own. Um, and Wade's memory is failing and Anne attempts to sort of piece together what happened with Wade's first wife, uh, Jenny and their daughters. And it sort of moves between, um, perspectives including Ann Wade and his first wife who is in prison and so you're sort of like trying to uncover what is happening so I think I it was wonderfully written full disclosure I don't read a lot of literary fiction I don't read a lot of books that one would describe as literary fiction I tend to mostly read genre fiction and so I think I was expecting this to be more of like a traditional mystery Mm. and it's not I kept waiting for something to happen I mean it won an Edgar so that suggests that there's a mystery to it but it was not structured in a way I was expecting and it did read more like a literary novel which is fine that's just not what I was anticipating um but again you may it's a it's a well-written book and if you go in understanding I feel like this was the this had the exact opposite problem of Little Flyers Everywhere where I went into this expecting literary, uh, expecting a mystery and got mm-hmm. literary fiction versus I took forever to read Little Fires Everywhere because I expected it to be straight literary fiction. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. there's like this mystery thing going on. Yeah. Here. Or maybe, you know, like maybe, you know, I mean, it, there there is mystery in the sense that there's information you don't know. And the book is sort of about uncovering that. That's just not exactly what I was looking for. So. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, though, because I. I do read a fair amount of literary fiction, especially recently. And we've talked about some of the books where like, I enjoy a book that's about like a small town and a small moment in that small town. But at the same time, like if I borrow one of those books, expecting it to be like something, it's definitely, we talked about this in our team recently. We were talking about the movie, The Village by Emmett Shyamalan. And we were talking about how it's a great movie. It just was like marketed weird. And that's why people had weird misconceptions about it. I, I totally know what you mean. It's like, if you go in expecting something and you keep waiting for that something to happen, you're like, okay, well, there's 50 pages left. What are we doing here? Right. And, you know, some of it might be user error and the fact that 
it's mm. not necessarily that it was marketed poorly. I just maybe misunderstood what the book was. You know, like it can go either way. Um, but at the same time, yeah. it won an Edgar, which is it won an Edgar. But I didn't. It just I think it was like a quiet mystery. I guess is probably yeah. the best way. It was not the sort of genre mystery of like Mary Higgins Clark or whatever that mm-hmm. I was expecting. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, my next one is The Secret Commonwealth by Philip Pullman. And this hurts my heart because I love his dark materials so, so much. Um, I have talked about his dark materials a myriad of times. Um, I adore it. Our friend Mallory and I pitched a podcast randomly to someone about like reviewing his dark materials, the show. They didn't get back to us. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. Um, But I love, so the, the Secret Commonwealth is the second book in the second trilogy of the His Dark Materials kind of world. So um, the Book of Dust, the first book is called La Belle Sauvage. That is delightful. It's, um, it talks about Lyra and Pantalaimon when she's an adult. It builds off of the world that His Dark Materials created and kind of like the aftermath, um, picking up the pieces and, and how she proceeds in her life. It was wonderful. It definitely set the stage for like a whole new adventure. I was so excited and I love that it was still like that same world, but it's different. And then the second one came out, uh, Secret Commonwealth. And it's, y'all, it's like 800 pages. And when I got it, I was so excited. I got the physical copy, had a deckled pages. So everything about it, so excited. It is the most middle book of a trilogy ever. It is and like don't get me wrong i still got 800 pages of pan and lyra and everyone doing fun things in that world so it's fine but like all it is doing is setting up the third book speaking of mallory there is a text conversation she and i had that was like three hours long about how frustrating it was because you just kept waiting for something to happen and then you got to like 30 pages left and you're like that this is going to be like the end of the first or second Lord of the Rings movie where it's just kind of like fate. They're just like yeah. at the top of the mountain, whatever it is. Again, the writing is, is good. It's Philip Pullman. And of course I'm going to read the third one because it's friggin' book. That's kind of the point of it, but it's like, it is the most middle book of a trilogy ever. It's literally setting up the third one and he spends 800 pages doing it. So if you are a His Dark Materials fan, I know you're going to read it, but just know that all it's doing is like setting up the chessboard for what will happen in the third of these books. So, yeah, that's the struggle of, of middle books in the trilogy. That's hard. Yeah. And I know that that happens. I yeah. understand. And like you said, it's one of those things as well where the first book was a certain way and then you want to do something. You want to do the things that your readers love, but you also want to do something different. Then you run that risk of just like being completely, yeah. It's, it was fine. I just... It didn't jive with me as whoever wrote that email. So there you go. Okay. My next one is Armada by Ernest Klein. Yep. Let's get into it. We, you all know that we love Ready Player One. I was not as big of a fan of Ready Player Two, but I read it and enjoyed it. Armada exists outside of those books. Um, It is about Zach. He, um, He lives a lot in video games and virtual worlds and then aliens show up and he, um, is sort of taking on this. 
Sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. It's it's exactly what happens. But like just the way he said it, it's like the aliens show up. It's like <laughs> show up, <laughs> aliens show up. So he is like taken like you know his years of video games have made him the perfect sort of you know it's like practice basically to to do this flight simulator, the Armada, which is gamers who are now protecting us from aliens. Okay, there's a couple of things with this one. <laughs> first just read ender's game i mean just, yeah if you if this is this type of book you want just read Ender's now game. to be fair orson scott card personally as a person not a good dude trash so you know take that under advisement if you decide to read ender's game i love ender's game so much um and it is i think a much better example of that idea of a battle school, a flight simulator, space fights, um, and, you know, protecting the earth. Just read Ender's Game. And I think, you know, I feel like, you know, and and I, I think, I think Ernest Klein fell into that trap that a lot of debut authors whose book is huge falls into in that he had to put something out. And mm-hmm. You know, people were expecting something else from him, like something new from him that was just as exciting and just as would be just as big and just as popular as Ready Player One. And that's hard to do. Like, like that sophomore book is tricky, which is why it probably took him so long <laughs> to mm-hmm. have Ready Player Two. Um, you know, he falls on a lot of, of the same tropes that kind of happen in Ready Player One, but I don't think he executes them as well, or maybe because he did them already it it feels lazy you know you have this geeky kid who doesn't have a lot of friends and is like blah blah whatever and then there's this girl he likes and she's treated as this like side quest to get her and um i it did not jive with me Mm -hmm. just read under's game but you know maybe you will like this maybe you're like you know what i actually don't want to read under's game because orson scott card is a terrible person this would be a fair replacement, you know, that's fine. That's fine. But it just, yeah. Listen, if you want to read Ender's Game, that's like, like, it's fine. Go get the book from like a half price books or something where the library. Well, oh yeah. Or the library, but supporting libraries does support authors. And I mean, so does like secondhand book places, but find his book at like a garage sale or something so that he doesn't get any of your money. Cause, but it is one of those moments where you're like, shit this guy is a garbage baby but this is such a good book <laughs> so it's so hard i read the whole series i read some of the bean books i just the movie was awful we won't talk about it but um it's i we we named i did a trivia group we did like a bar trivia years ago like mm-hmm. i don't know like 10 years ago and our team name was dragon army i mean like yeah. we were <laughs> all of us i love enter's game armada just yeah and and i know we're kind of being a little like book nerdy gatekeeper in the sense we're not talking about why or since Scott card is terrible just send us an email if you're if you're not aware well we can talk about it i gatekeeping i just don't want to get into that conversation right now exactly. i feel like yeah. yeah um okay so my next one is called the gargoyle hunters by john freeman gill um there's another one that was on bestsellers list. i feel like all of the books i talk about were on like hit bestsellers list, so i don't feel bad not enjoying them um, the Gargoyle Hunters does this thing where 
I get very frustrated when a book just takes a left turn in the middle of the book, just seemingly to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first half of this book, I was so in on. It is the story of this 13-year-old kid named Griffin. And he is living, it's 1970s Manhattan. And his father, he's estranged with, but they have this relationship because his father is like, the thing he does, he has a salvage business. But what he does is he goes to old gilded age New York buildings that are going to be torn down and literally like takes parts of those bu- those buildings, like the architectural sculptures, like the gargoyles and the goddesses and the sea monsters and all this stuff. And then he sells them. And the interesting thing is, this is like a real thing that happened in 1974 there was a new york times like a front page article about the theft of in like a literally like an entire landmark building was being stolen like piece by piece by these people and sold off and so the first half of this book is all about them like his mom is like struggling as well as you can imagine because this is a really like depressed family but the first half of the book is all about him and his dad going on these like literally like Indiana Jones style adventures around New York City where they're like stealing huge pieces of architecture. And it gets really into the like, it's almost like like Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. where like it explains what's happening. And I'm like, wow, this is so fun. It's so weird. Jill and I both talk about how much we love Gilded Age New York stories. Yeah. So in on it. And then halfway through, it kind of like, it just takes a turn where this Griffin has to become like the man of the house and um, the whole like shtick is like, oh, they're salvaging pieces of these buildings. He has to realize what parts of himself he wants to salvage. Get it? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it just turns into this like family, like depression, depressing family drama, which I love a family drama, but it's all about like the father and the son's relationship. And the, the author just gets away from the, all like the heisty yeah. things, which is so much fun. And it was promoted like a heist book. And I was like, damn, this rules. And then just stopped talking about the heist things halfway through. And like, I kept reading it being like, there's gotta be like one more big heist. Right. And it's just, there kind of isn't. And so people might read this and love it. Like, I feel like this is actually more of a book recommendation than like a book, like degradation, but it just made such a left turn that I was so bummed out by it. So The Gargoyle Hunters by John Freeman Gilligan. It was well-written, but I hate when a book does that, where it's like, oh, did you enjoy the plot that I was just giving you? <laughs> Too bad. Now you're going to read a second novella in this one book. Oh, just kidding. Um, my next one is The Dilemma by B.A. Paris. Okay. <sighs> Behind Closed Doors is one of the best like thriller books I have ever read. Um, and I have read, uh, her other books. I didn't, you know, they were okay. Again, it's, it's, it's hard to come back from a super popular thing. Mm -hmm. So the dilemma, um, is about, uh, a woman who it's her birthday. Her husband is throwing her this big party because, they didn't, it was like to make up for the wedding they never had. Um, and everyone's going to be there. Their daughter, um, Marnie, she's studying abroad. And uh, the wife, Livia, she's actually happy Marnie's not coming because 
she recently learned there's a lot of secrets in this one this is one of those books where there's like everyone has a secret and Mm. nobody is telling anyone and um so like Livia has learned a secret about her daughter her husband has a secret that Marnie he's actually flying Marnie back for the wedding as a surprise or for the party as a surprise um, but he also has like this other secret he's not keeping or he is keeping from his wife. They're like, son has a secret. Like everyone has secrets. And <sighs> I just sort of kept waiting for something to happen. And it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, like, and B.A. Paris or other books have this sort of like big twist type thing. Um, and this one didn't. And so, yeah, I went in thinking it was going to be like her other books and it, it wasn't. Um, it's just a lot of people with secrets none of which were particularly like "Ooh, that's so scary i mean Mm -hmm. i just was like okay (laughs) yeah i that's how i felt that's how i felt about that the guest list it was like okay not everyone can have a shocking backstory like come on sometimes you're just an accountant and that's okay yeah um so the two i have left it's a little weird because we promoted them on our best of or like preview of a month and then I read them and I was disappointed in both. And I think that's okay. Um, because as we've told people before, like a lot of the books, Jill and I talk about the fact that we're excited to read for our monthly previews are just that books. Jill and I are excited to read. We haven't yet read. Um, and this was one of them and it just didn't, I didn't love it. So it's the liar's dictionary by Elay Williams. Um, this, and I specifically remember talking about it when we were doing the recording because it's this book about uh, Swansby's dictionary, encyclopedic dictionary. And it talks about the concept of a mount weasel, which is a fake thing that are put into, like a fake passage that are put into dictionaries and encyclopedias to prevent copyright. Like this was a big thing back in the day when encyclopedias and dictionaries were purchased, like physical copies, like people could just, steal like the swansby's or the oxford dictionary and just reprint it and say Mm -hmm. it's ours um and so what happens in this book is there's two different timelines there's one um with uh it's told in victorian times and it follows this character peter who um ends up kind of putting some of these mount weasels into the swansby's dictionary and the other narrative is in present day and it follows this character mallory who is an intern and at the at uh swansby's and they are in charge of basically digitizing the encyclopedic dictionary and so it goes back and forth between these two stories and comes to a thrilling conclusion quote unquote um the problem is i didn't care at all for the victorian chapters not because it's victorian just because it was so boring and when your book is going back and forth between timelines, if as a reader, you just don't care about one and you're just trying to get to the other timeline again, it's just a slog. And so the book is short. It's very quick. So you can get through it. And I don't know. I just thought it was, and it's like very interestingly set up where each chapter is for a specific letter in the dictionary or in the alphabet rather. And so it's like mm-hmm. A is for some, something. And then like that letter and that word is involved in that chapter but i just this peter character i didn't care about him i didn't care about his life i didn't care about his troubles he just everything that was happening to him i was like stand up for yourself like 
no one, a horrible thing would happen to him and people would just make jokes about it. I'm like, this wouldn't happen. I don't care. And so it was just a slog because half the book was very boring to me. So <laughs> if you're going to have multiple timelines, it's tricky because of course you want your reader to care about all of them. Yeah. And if you don't, it turns into an okay short story and a terrible short story combined to make one blah book. What's your next one? This next one is a tricky one because I included it on my list of the best books of 2019. And now I'm like, hmm. no, it's, it's not. Okay. The book is trust exercise by uh, Susan Choi. It's not that I didn't like it necessarily. It's that I don't know how to feel about it. And I am very much a person who's like a gut instinct kind of thing. So if I don't love something that probably means I don't like that, I hate it mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. And I don't love this. I don't even know if I, I mean, I like it. I listen. I mean, I, I like the writing. I think it's well-written. I think it is an interesting story. I should go back and listen to our 2019 episode to remember how I talked about it then. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, I've, I have a lot of conflicting feelings. So this is, um, it starts in uh, high school in the 1980s and their students at a um, performing heights, performing arts high school. Wow. Um, and these two freshmen, David and Sarah fall in love and, um, their like relationship gets noticed by their charismatic acting teacher, Mr. Kingsley. And so it's, it's about that. And you're, it's sort of like the book. And even in the description, it's sort of set up like, um, this relationship is a catalyst for a lot of things that you won't understand till the end, mm-hmm. which is true. That is a hundred percent accurate. Um, but man, it takes some left turns that <laughs> are very, very unexpected that I don't necessarily care for. Mm. I mean, there, there are, it, yeah, it's essentially like three books in one, you know, it just takes, some like novellas yeah it's sort of like three novellas that fit together in one book Mm -hmm. that are connected and you do figure things out by the end and and things are explained and whatever but it took some dramatic turns yeah (laughs) that I didn't really like and so again but I I just don't know how I feel about this book and maybe I know people loved it it Mm -hmm. won awards it was like on all of the best lists it was on our best books list (laughs) But I just, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. So that's fair. That's fair. Um, Okay. So my last one, this like just came out and it's on most anticipated lists, literally all around the world. Um, In fact, the author was on our friend Mallory and Bria's podcast, Reading Glasses. Mm -hmm. Um, It's recently too, I think. Like a couple, like two weeks ago, I think, or last week. Um, It's We Could Be Heroes by Mike Chen. And I want to preface this by saying like, the concept of the book is awesome. The writing is awesome. It's very, very likely that if the why, the why I'm as to why I didn't love it, if it doesn't bother you, you'll probably love this book. Um, but it is, it tells the story of these two characters who Jamie and Zoe, who they have superpowers and they wake up with no memory 
And one of them decides to be a villain to kind of rob banks. And the other one decides to sort of be a superhero and prevent this from happening. Um, but Jamie, the character who robs banks, has these powers where he can manipulate people's memories. Um, and Zoe is like super strong, super fast, all that stuff. Um, Jamie robs banks because he can do it without harming people. And the money that he's stealing is insured and then he's gonna t- he wants to take that money and he's kind of wants to like disappear so like even though he's doing a bad thing he's like thinks through it and he's not trying to harm anybody and so in his mind it's a victimless crime um they meet up at a uh a memory loss support group kind of figure out who each other are and then they decide we need to figure out how we got these powers and why can't we remember anything before and so that's what they go and they do it's all fun it's it's very enjoyable I, when a book hinges on a mystery and you find yourself figuring out the mystery very quickly, I feel like I'm just kind of playing out the string at that point. So they get together and all of this is like kind of in the description. I'm not really giving anything away, but they form this sort of like tenuous friendship and then they go and they try to figure out what is happening. And it's un what's uncovered as to how they're getting their powers and how they got their powers. I made an assumption from that where I was like, Oh, I think this is what's happening. And it turned out exactly what I thought was exactly right. And it's like, I just found myself reading the last like hundred pages or so just to get through it. And so this is why I love like the, um, like the invisible life of Addie LaRue and the starless sea so much because like it, hinges on a mystery that you don't know what's going to happen and like literally into the last page you're like wow that all that was amazing and you're still wondering if a book's premise is designed to make you think like oh what's going to happen next in this world it has to keep doing that and this just didn't for me and again like it was enjoyable I, I definitely think people who like um superhero type stories like um the rest of us just live here which we always talk about I think you'll like this book for me it was just like I, I was like I think this is what's gonna happen and then when I figured out that I ended up being right it's like watching a movie where you're like I yeah think this is where the plot's going and then when it does you're like well oh know. see I don't I don't do that I'm like I was right yes <laughs> <laughs> that's fair okay that's totally fair I and I will say I am um uncannily good at figuring out plots and like seeing where things are going to go in movies and in TV shows. And so then I kind of like lose interest and that's kind of like what happened here. So again, it's not that it's a bad book. It just didn't sit with me because I was like, is this what's going to happen? Oh, okay. That's what's going to happen. Whatever. So That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Oh, my last one is the goldfinch by Donna Tart. All like thousand pages of it. Uh, you know, I have talked obsessively on this podcast about how much I love a secret history. (sighs) This book just felt like work to read, you know, (laughs) like it was Mm -hmm. felt like work and it like, you could feel the work that Donna Tartt put into it. If that makes sense, you know, like some writers are very good about making their writing feel effortless Mm -hmm. and you don't see the hours of like writing and revisions and it it just feels like work. This is also why I don't like Joyce Carol Oates books. I have tried <laughs> like 10 different Joyce Carol Oates books and 
I think, I mean, yeah, I didn't include any of that. I could have listed like just any Joyce Carol. Just, just a Joyce Carol Oates podcast. Just Joyce Carol Oates. I don't like her books because they feel like work and I don't care about any of the characters, which I think is also the problem with the Goldfinch. I just didn't care. Like I didn't really have mm-hmm. any reason to care. It's not that they were unlikable. It's not, you know, I just was like, meh. I don't really, I mean, okay, you got this kid, you know, there's a painting. <laughs> yeah. Um, his mom dies. He's taken in by these rich friends. There's a painting. Oh, and like, there's like this whole MacGuffin thing. And like, I have, you know, like there's limits to what I'm willing to put up. <laughs> yeah. For a MacGuffin. Um, it won the Pulitzer. Lots of people liked it. I did not. I just found it boring. And, you know, and like, I actually, and in my notes, I mentioned that it's not that it's the length and it's not that it's like this, this big story. Oh, actually, I think I, oh, I meant to put this in. (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, actually. I didn't, I didn't. It's not the length and it's not that it's a big book and it's not that it's like a character study and all of that stuff. Like I read a little life in 72 hours, which is like a 600 page book. Um, This was just, this was just boring. That said, there is like a cameo of a character from Secret History, which I think is delightful. Um, and just fun. It's at a party. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. But again, lots of people really enjoyed this book. What I, so, and I will say, one, I love that in our notes you wrote, meh. Like that's that's a good. <laughs> I did, that's how, I'm like, meh. Yeah. Meh. Um, but I will say, I remember when it won the Pulitzer, right? Is that what you said? It's, yeah. I remember like a lot of people on social media being like, really this book, like it, you know, and, like high up people. I, so I, I don't think you're alone in your thoughts on this book. I don't even remember what other books it would have necessarily been up against that year. Do they actually even list? Like, is there a short list of the Pulitzer? I don't even know. Probably. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Type in Pulitzer Prize Goldfinch. The uh, fourth is, no, the third is from the Washington Post, the disappointing novel that just yeah. won a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> you know, and I feel like, you know, maybe to some degree, this is sort of like, um, like a Martin Scorsese Oscar thing. They're like, you know what? <laughs> 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 or Peter Jackson winning for the third Lord of the Rings. I mean, mm-hmm like you know sort of like maybe sort of course correcting on a previously overlooked title i don't know it just yeah it's just you know it feels a lot like the testaments for margaret atwood winning was it like she tied for the booker i think and people are like really yeah <laughs> couldn't just give it to the other author you had to tie mm-hmm. and again you're it's it sort of feels like well it's margaret atwood and yeah. she wrote this sequel to the handmaid's tale um and we're just gonna give her the prize and so it's, yeah I, I don't know like i just meh on the goldfinch i don't know if it was supposed to prize worthy yeah. um but it, lots of people liked it and you may be one of those people and that is totally fine yeah and listen there are all sorts of books there's a couple books that i read last year that i was like man this is kind of not great and they, they were finalists for national book awards and things like that like this it not every book is for every person um that being said, so many of you wrote in and said, please do this. Now it's your turn. I want to see the book. I want to hear about the books that you don't jive with. And if you're going to put it on like social, if you're going to tag us on social media, maybe be 
respectful. If you want to be kind of nasty and mean via email, go for it. Well, because Jill and I are the only ones who are going to read those. So, um, I mean, yeah, maybe we have, we could just like, instead of bonding over books that we like, we can bond over books we don't like. Absolutely. I love it. I'm all for it. And you know what? That's sometimes that's more fun. It's like to tell someone like, didn't you love this book? And they're like, yeah. And then you kind of sit there quietly. But if you're like, I hated this book and they're like, me too. Now let's break it down for 45 minutes. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're still in a pandemic. We're in month 12 of a pandemic. So let's do something fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. Anything else you think people should know about? If you are a U.S. reader, yes, we have our Together We Read program is happening now between now and I think the 25th. I should know that. Um, it, you can go to your library and get uh, Kate Claiborne's Love Lettering ebook or audiobook without wait lists or holds. You can listen to my interview with Kate from two weeks ago, I believe. Last week. I don't. Last week. Last week. Last week. Um, so I think that's all. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, cool. All right. I hope you guys liked us talking about books we don't care for and let us know. I'm genuinely curious to really know what you guys thought about this. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.